Father, this evening we come to you, Lord. We come to you, Father, because you alone have life, the words of life. We just thank you that you are keeping us, protecting us from the sun, from the heat, from all these things that are out to destroy us. Every wicked plan of the enemy, you're protecting your people. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. Even this evening, even as we are here, we just surrender ourselves once again. We pray, Lord, you speak to us. Give us understanding, Lord. Help us to receive your word. Help us to understand your word and help us to be patient to allow your word to bear fruit in our lives, Lord. Help us. Young ones, older ones, every one of us here, Lord, we just surrender before thy word, before thy spirit. Speak to us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This night uh, we will go back to a few fundamentals. It's good once in a while to go back and check the fundamentals of our faith. Initially to look very simple and basic as you go and as you go further it will get a little tougher. Okay? So we will go to one of the most uh, well-known of the parables of Jesus. So tonight we'll turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Okay, we are very familiar with this parable, but we'll still read that portion, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, some hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? So we will go back to verse 1. How does it begin? And again he began to teach. Now, some of you, maybe the young ones, may have issue with me and would probably be repeating the same thing. Oh, not again. He's beginning to teach. Okay? What does it say there? Again, he began to teach. He started to teach. So, we are just setting the pattern set by the king, the great teacher. Again, he began to teach. Okay? So, bear with me. Jesus is by the lake. The crowds are huge. So he's got into a boat, sat in the boat in the sea. That's his pulpit. Okay, He's sitting in a boat in the sea. And the crowds are on the land facing the sea. It's very clearly given. Okay, He's on the land facing the sea. Incredible, beautiful setting. Must have been a quiet day. But you need to understand what he's doing. Okay, Water actually acts like an amplifier so that every can, everybody can hear. Okay, so here is the creator using his own creation 
to see that his voice is heard. If you have lived by the sea or be lived by the lake, not sea, lake, by the waters, you know water, when it is quiet, amplifies your voice. You can hear much clearer, much louder. So you can see. He doesn't use any sound system. He uses what he has created so that everybody can hear. And verse 2, sir, he taught them many things, but he taught them in parables. Okay, A parable is usually a story with a spiritual meaning. And he begins his teaching by saying in verse 3, how does he begin? He begins by saying, listen. Okay, The Greek word actually means listen very carefully. Just don't listen. Listen very carefully. Even when you are listening, seek the help of the Holy Spirit to go deep into what you are hearing. Listen, understand, perceive. Okay, that's what it is saying. Listen, listen. Over and over you will see that word listen or hear being repeated in this parable, like in all his parables, over and over. At least, at least 12 to 13 times it is repeated in one parable. Listen, hear, listen, hear. Okay? Because why does God put this stress on this word listen? Because that's the beginning. The doorway to our salvation. Faith comes from hearing. Okay? Hearing. First, we have to learn to listen. That's the, that's the most important part. We have sacrificed much by coming in this heat after your work, long distance, traffic, everything. But that's not what is primary. Primarily is listen. Listen. Okay? Because everything that the enemy does is to see that we don't listen. We don't hear God. So listen, says Jesus. So listen, says your pastor. And when I see some of you young ones on a Sunday or a Wednesday not listening, then I call you out by name. Why? Because you have to listen. Everything depends on it. Then he begins the parable of the sower. Now we know it well, or at least we think we know it well, but every time I study, I realize I don't know it so well. Okay? But we know one thing, the sower here is Jesus. Or any of your servants, okay? Because the seed here, some seed fell on the wayside. The seed here is the word of God. If you look at verse 14 of Mark 4, verse 14, the sower sows the word. So he's not talking, he's using an illustration of a farmer, of a sower, of a field. But what the farmer sows is the seed. But the intent of the story is not talking about farming. It's using it as an example. The seed that's sown is the the word. Okay? So, Jesus is the sower. He's not a farmer, but he's using it as an illustration. He's a teacher. And what he is sowing as a teacher is the word. In Mark chapter 1, and verse 38, scripture says, But he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Okay? If you study scripture, you will see in scripture many, 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 many reasons given about why Jesus came. For this purpose he came. I came to seek to save the lost. For this purpose the Son of Man came, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Many are given. And one of them often missed it says, for this purpose I have come. What has he come? To preach. 
One of the purposes Jesus came. Not primary purpose, but one of the main purposes in which Jesus came is to preach. And preaching is the sowing of the word. So we, it's very simple. Once you look at the parable, understand it's related with the other, other rest of scripture. Jesus is the farmer or the sower. The seed is the word of God and the soil is our heart. Okay, our hearts, our heart is the soil. Now if you look into the parable, when you come back to the parable, there is something interesting or something strange, rather strange about this sower. That's if you know farming. Since you're all from England, you may not know uh, what farming is like. But I grew up. My grandfather had a farm. So I know what farming is like. When I was with my parents also, we always had our kitchen garden. And farming is fun. If you like farming. Like if you like anything, it is fun. If you don't like anything, nothing is fun. Okay? So, if you know farming and you read this parable, there is something strange about this sower. Because if you know, a farmer is very careful about his seed. First, he carefully prepares the ground. He plows it. He pulls out all the weeds. That's what is called as the thorns. He gets the land ready. Then he sows the seed. But not so much the sower. He's just casting it out. Letting it land wherever it ends up. As a result, some of it lands on the road. Some on shallow stony ground. Some among the thorns or the weeds. Just some. Like if you want to put it in terms, not exactly, but mathematically saying, only 25% seems to reach the good ground. What kind of a farmer is he? No, no natural farmer will ever do that. He will try to see at least 100% falls on the field. But this is a strange farmer. So either this farmer is incredibly foolish or he's incredibly gracious. And we know Jesus is not foolish. He is incredibly gracious. He casts the seed anyway. Because he wants every person, irrespective of what their heart may be like, to have a chance of hearing the gospel. Everybody to hear the gospel. And producing a harvest. Everyone. If you or I were a farmer like him, sower of the seed, we would probably want the appreciative, attentive crowd. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He's a very gracious sower. He'll cast it everywhere because he doesn't want anybody to go through life without having an opportunity of not having heard the gospel. So only you understand the heart of this sower and how gracious he is, then only you will understand why there is so much investment, so much manpower, so much resources, so much sacrifice put into the preaching of this gospel. Otherwise we will not understand. Why does the church of God universally for 2000 years put so much money so much resources, so much sacrifice, literally lives have been given over to the preaching of the gospel because the first sower, the original sower is an incredibly gracious sower. 
and he puts it where the throat is hard where it is stony or whether it is full of thorns or whether it is a receptive irrespective of he keeps on casting the seed so understand the heart of the sower because we need to see we are doing a check on our own hearts like abel said it's lens season it's good to do checks much of the seed actually if you look falls on unprepared ground but the divine sower is full of grace therefore his sowings can't be anything else can't be anything else the divine sower is full of grace therefore his sowings all of us cannot be anything else you need to understand the reason you and i i don't know about you i know about me we got saved i got saved is not because i was such a good prepared soil actually when i look back i was the most unprepared soil when the gospel came but because he was so gracious though we rejected it so many times the sower was persistent and generous i remember the sower god used in my life and in the interesting part connected with this parable is the man whom god used to sow the gospel into my heart actually passed from the agriculture university alhabad agriculture university he had a degree in this right yeah but he got the degree later after he had sowed in my life but god had already prepared him for that okay but he never gave up on me and i resisted him i resisted i hid from him i did everything possible to avoid him until one day but god was persistent through him like i was not a easy ground i was a hard catholic ground pretending not even a good catholic was i had knew nothing about catholicism but pretended to be a catholic to avoid the protestants so you use every trick of the book to avoid the gospel but he was persistent and he was gracious okay so understand that we are not here if you look back each one of our lives because when the gospel came to us the first time oh our hearts were prepared no we were not it was because the sower was very very gracious the sower that is jesus knew something about the seed that we didn't know despite there was this risk of losing the seed to the birds if you look at the first case or the sun or the thorns he knows the seed he knows the seed in itself can never fail in first peter chapter 1 verse 23 scripture talks about that seed and calls it incorruptible seed the seed we have in nature on earth which we use for our farming is corruptible seed it has a time span okay if you go and buy seed for farming here in old city or somewhere you get those seed if you buy it there is an expiry date meaning after that you use it nothing is going to come every seed has an expiry date some seeds can last for much longer some for a very short while but every seed in this world has an expiry date this seed is incorruptible and i we will use the term imperishable so, so the sower knows the nature of the seed so therefore we all being sowers now 
preachers testifying to this gospel need to be very, very, very sure. Know the nature of the seed so that we do not get disheartened. We are sowing the seed. Nothing is coming out. God says, don't worry. This seed never fails. It's incorruptible. It's imperishable. Listen to how God says through the prophet Isaiah about this seed. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God uses the same imagery. Same imagery. He says, you don't worry. Your efforts are not dependent upon your efforts. The power lies in the seed. The power lies. That's why scripture says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So don't get discouraged. Don't get disappointed that you may feel, oh, I have been preaching, it's hard ground. God says, don't worry. The power doesn't lie in the ground. The power lies in the seed. It is in the word. Therefore, okay, to the world, preaching does look foolishness. Preaching is the vessel, okay? But the power is in the word. So God uses the preaching that is foolishness, the preaching of the word to bring forth salvation. And the world looks at preaching as foolishness. Like any of you were to tell your friends who do not know God, where are you going? Oh, we are going to hear, listen to your preaching. Are you, are you foolish in this heat after work going to hear preaching? Okay. You look at what God says in First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, not 22. Did I give it to that? 21, right? 121. No, I didn't give 22 to 25. I gave you 21. After that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. What did it please God? Please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He used a very foolish, foolish vehicle called preaching. Now if you do not know God, if you do not know God, preaching is the most foolish thing. You will like music. You will like every form of entertainment. You will like politicians' speeches if they are great speakers, everything. But when you come to preaching of the word, it looks like foolishness. Who wants to go and sit there and hearing this preaching of the word which tells you you are a sinner and you are going to hell if you turn turn around and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who wants to do that? Preaching is the only thing that doesn't tell you how good you are. Preaching is the only thing that doesn't entertain you. So preaching is foolishness. But God in his wisdom used the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Why? Preaching is just a vessel. The power lies in the word. So the sower knows the power of the word. So every preacher should also put his trust in the word and not in anything else. In Hebrews 12, 4, 12 and 13, scripture talks about this seed. 
the nature of this seed. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It talks about the power of this word. It always does its work. It is double-edged. It's a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It only doesn't cut one way. It cuts both ways. It promises salvation to those who listen and obey. It also promises judgment for those who don't. It cuts both ways. It promises what? Salvation to those who believe. It promises judgment for for those who don't. It cuts through all our man-made defenses. Here it says, it's living, powerful, sharper than any steward sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit joint. It is a discerner. Meaning it is a judge. That's the actual term. It's a judge. It's a judge. It is, comes from the Greek word, kritikos, which means, it is a critic. The word of God is what a? Critic. It, now, we don't understand what, let me explain to you, because a lot of children over here, so you will understand, because if I bring a movie, immediately everybody's ears are nice, that's why Pastor Vijay uses movies and Telugu to make you understand, okay? Long time ago, when you were not even born, Okay, little ones. There was a movie which I saw. I won't say the title because if I tell the title, you will forget the message. You will be googling it by the time you reach home. Which movie it is? I won't tell you the movie. Okay, it was a Tamil movie dubbed in Malayalam and English. It's about a girl who does a young girl a Bharatnatyam recital. When she does that, the next day she and the agent is sitting there and watching the newspaper. All the newspapers, local newspapers, are all going on. Gaga, gaga, ga about what a great dance, what a great dance, what a grand dance. Then when she is going through and looking and looking and look, oh, I'm a great dancer. Then she looks at one report where the critic has written, it is terrible. And she is furious. She and the agent goes, some of the guys who are smiling knows which movie it is, okay? She and her agent goes to the newspaper office and throws a tantrum. How can you do this? And then the critic, that guy who wrote it, he comes. And if I'm right, that agent slaps him also. Okay, it's all this thing. And he's alcoholic, okay? He says, let me go to the restroom. He comes back. And then he says, wait, 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 wait. He says he's got an old recorder. He plays that song, first line, first dance, and tells her, will you dance? And she dances. Very proudly dances and stands as that. He says, wait. He replays it again, takes his sandals off, and he dances. Then he tells her, what did I dance? She says, Bharat Natyam. He says, okay. He replays it again. Again dances the same stanza. He says, what did I dance? Now she said, Kuchipudi. He again, he says, now what did I dance? She said, Kathakali, now her mouth is falling because he's an expert. And he dances four different forms of the same song. Okay, now, what he wrote was a critique of her dance. 
the thing is that the word of god is the critique of our life not to pat our back our problem is when we read the word of god we want the word of god to tell us how great thou art how good you are no it is a critique it's a critique the expert that's what it means here it is a discerner it goes beyond your outside dance to a discerner of your thoughts and your intents the word of god is like that it is the actual judge of who we really are it's powerful and the second thing it says no creature is hidden from his side all things are laid bare open the word of god will lay you bare you know what's the actual word for that the actual word in greek for that is trachea those of you know biology knows where is your trachea it's here trachea meaning what does the illustration come from when you are using an animal for sacrifice you turn your neck backwards and you cut its neck so what does it mean it's the actual imagery in english the word of god doesn't go for your leg or your hand it goes straight for the neck it goes for the what we say in english it goes for the jugular vein that's what it actually means one words it is a discerner a judge of your thoughts emotions intentions everything and if you really open the word of god will straight go for your throat lays you bare are you getting the picture it means you can run from the word but you can never hide from the word it will search you out it will search you out that's how the word of god is so the divine farmer no sowing is a risky business but he sows anyway because he knows the power of the seed maybe the divine sower through a servant of his sowed the seed here Absiva will sit there because she has got nothing she can't do she cannot run she listens but she is resisting she smiles but Shakespeare said one can smile and smile and still be a villain okay she smiles but she is hard is hard she rejects it all and rejects it but it is an imperishable incorruptible seed Jesus tarries to come 50 years are over now she is 65 70 she has resisted the word so much now she is lying in a sick bed her body is being eaten by a deadly disease and the seed still starts working it's incorruptible it's imperishable it's not like other seeds which have a date line this seed will work till your last breath last breath that is why this work has to be absolutely and totally by faith and faith alone otherwise we will give up so he sows because he knows the power of this seed and for those who believe Paul will put it across this way in 1 Thessalonians he will say for this reason we also thank God without ceasing why for those who received the word for when you received the word of God which you heard from us we are also servants of the original sower sowing the seed you welcomed it not as the word of men the word of men is like the seed of this world it is perishable it has a date line expiry date but you receive the word of god through us as the word of god which doesn't have expiry date 
but as it is in truth the word of god which also effectively works in those who believe it starts working in you so understand that the sower knows the power of his word so the sower is jesus the divine sower and then his followers his assistants and then the seed is the word of god and that brings us to the third issue the main issue that is us what is that the soil so we know the sower is jesus the seed is the word we don't have to worry about this too just remain faithful to the word the third is our issue what is the soil the soil is what concerns all of us it is the heart of man in this particular parable as we know the soil the heart four conditions are mentioned here four conditions are mentioned here that's why this is a parable telling you a deep truth don't take it literally because the reason is everything here is living the sower is living the seed is living and the ground or the soil is also living this is a living ground this is not dead ground this is living ground a living god and his soul is the sower the living word of god the seed and the hearts of people who are living everything is living why is this important because it is important for us it's our job to discover what is the condition of my heart what is the condition of my heart four kinds of hearts are described over here what is the condition of my heart and should i do something about it why did i say that this soil is not the natural soil over there you see if you go on to the road you know that road you put the seed nothing will come out of it right you go to a field and you throw the seed you know something will come out of it but the problem is they both are not living we are living i could be a living ground where the seed came in and it grew and later in life i became the hard soil we can move in any direction it's living so don't take this parable lightly in terms of evangelism which type am i now is the question it's not what type i was earlier because there are four types mentioned here first one is the hardened or the closed heart the second type mentioned is the shallow heart the third mention is the distracted heart and the fourth is the responsive heart now you and i could be the responsive heart and one day end up has the hardened heart it's possible easily possible so the question is which am i In chapter 4 and verse 4 scripture says as it happened as you sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it The birds of the air came and ate it Now if you look at verse 15 it will explain to us who the bird of the air or the birds of the air and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown when they hear satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts 
sown in their hearts. But remember something about how the devil operates. And we operate. Nobody operates in vacuum. If something is taken out, something else is put there. The devil takes away the word we have heard. He also replaces it with a seed of his own. Understand? Okay? Luke will say, in the same parable, Luke will say, this prevents people from believing and being saved. In Luke 8, verse 12, those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So there is a lot of spiritual things that is happening. This is constantly happening for 2000 years in every church. Otherwise, if automatically the hearing of the word of God brings forth the harvest, can you imagine how gracious all Christians in the world would be? All growing into maturity, to glory, to glory, world full of compassion and kindness and the power of this, nothing. Hardly you see anything. That means much of the seed is being eaten away by the devil. Not only that, in most of the Christian nations, evil is rising, meaning it is being replaced by his seed. So look at practicalities. Okay. So now scripture says here, the seed fell on the wayside. On the wayside. Now, if you never been to the countryside, imagine. Have you been to a paddy field? When I used to study in school in Kerala, when I got back home, there were two ways I could reach home. One was the hard way up the road, up the hill home. The other was a shortcut through the paddy field. If you go through the paddy field, you will see it's in like squares or rectangles. And then in between, there is that path on which you can walk. You be careful. You can walk. It's very narrow, but you can walk. Compared to the paddy field, compared to the field, this wayside has two qualities where it is different from the field. One, it is narrow. Two, it is hard. One, it is narrow. Two, it is hard. Okay. Lot of people. Minds can be like that. Very narrow. Very hard. They are often open to anything except the real word of God. They are open to anything. But it, when it comes to the word of God, the truth, their hearts are very, we call them what? When it comes to the things of the world, we don't accept. What do we call them? We are very narrow-minded. When we want to do the things of the world, and if your spouse or your friend does not accept, you will say you are very hard-hearted. But now reverse it. When it comes to the word of God, there are many people whose hearts are very Narrow-minded and very hard. That's what scripture is talking about. I want to spend more time on this road alone. Probably only, we look at only one soil. Okay, today that should be enough for today. To chew on it. Now this is talking about to us, to the believers, to the Christians. Because Jesus was preaching all these gospels, not to the Hindus and the Muslims. He was speaking to his own people. He was Teaching his own Jewish generation. So he's speaking symbolically to believers. Okay. Let me ask you this question. When you think of the term Pharisee, 
do you have a positive impression or a negative impression? Positive or negative? You will get dinner, don't worry. Let's have some energy. What do you get? Negative. It's true. Because we have all the songs, Sunday school songs, everything, right? But in Jesus' time, if someone called you a Pharisee, it was a compliment. It was not negative. It was a compliment. It's Jesus who made it negative. Not the culture in which he lived. In the culture in which he lived, if you're called a Pharisee, it was a compliment. Even today, a 21st century Pharisee was what we would admire in religion. First thing about a Pharisee, he is zealous for God. Unmistakably zealous for God. He is committed to his faith. He knew his Bible inside out. He practiced the disciplines of his religion faithfully. Like prayer, fasting, tithes, whatever his disciplines there was in his faith, he practiced it faithfully. So it was not negative, it was very positive in the culture. That is what Paul will say about himself before he meets Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, 5 and 6, who am I? Circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. Not ninth, not seventh, not tenth, not eleventh. Exactly on the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law. A Pharisee. As far as the law was concerned. I was not among any of the other groups in Israel. When it came to the law. He is using it as a compliment in the flesh. I was what? A Pharisee. Concerning zeal. Persecuting the church. Who are the church? The heretics of my religion. I persecuted the heretics of my religion. I was zealous Pharisee. Concerning righteousness which is in the law. Absolutely blameless. So it was not negative. Until he met Christ. It was never negative. It was extremely positive. So what went wrong? How did the Pharisees who were always the one the people wanted to become like end up on the wrong side of Jesus? How did they become, according to Jesus, narrow-minded and hard? How come they followed him everywhere, heard his teaching over and over again, and yet the word produced Nothing positive in them, but brought always a negative reaction. So they are the wayside. And we can become the wayside. Two things which can happen to anyone of us, especially us, GDC. Because of the enormous teaching of the word. Pride and comparison. We could end up accidentally, not intentionally, accidentally we could end up as Pharisees. On the wrong side of, wrong side of what? Of whom? Jesus. So the title of today's message is Accidental Pharisee? Question mark. Okay. Did we, do we become accidental Pharisees? When we received the word, we may have been excited. Okay. Especially the young ones sitting over here. You heard powerful messages very early in life. You are surging ahead spiritually. And then you start looking around and see others are not moving as fast as you. 
In fact, they seem to be lagging behind. So you go to Good Shepherd. It's a title, Good Shepherd. Lot of Christian kids from different denominations. And they don't even know what you have forgotten. They don't even know one-tenth of your knowledge of scripture. When you look at them and says, which church do you go to? Does your pastor preach? In fact, you feel they are all lagging behind. So you start getting frustrated with your friends. Maybe in church, church members. Or maybe if you have learned a little Greek and Hebrew, maybe even with your pastor. Because they don't share your zeal and passion. Your frustration problem will start becoming contempt and disgust for people who, according to you, haven't reached your level. At this point, pride sets in. And instead of becoming like Jesus, full of kindness, full of compassion, full of mercy, full of patience, we become more like those who opposed him. Arrogant, religious, and confident in their own self-righteousness. And as time goes on, the accidental Pharisee becomes a full-fledged Pharisee. The living word can walk, the living word, Jesus, can walk in your own midst, talk to you personally, do wonders in your eyes, but it ceases to have any effect on you. You see the difference? It had no effect on them. This is the living word in which they are experts. They are experts of what? Of Jesus. They are experts of the word. But when the living word comes into the midst, it has no effect on him. The only thing they can is be, they become now critics of the word instead of the word critiquing them. They only have issues. Why do you heal on Sabbath? Does he masturbate taxes? There is this danger of any of the other three kinds of soil, the shallow, the distractor, or the responsive, becoming like the first one, the hardened heart. You become bitter and your heart gets hardened. God is screaming at you through your situation, but you are not able to hear his word. All you are able to is critique others. And at least critique God. Because the word you are hearing is plucked off by the devil and replaced by his word. That's Naomi. God is screaming to her in her situation. Naomi, I'm still with you. I've come back to Bethlehem. Come back and be restored. She doesn't see all that. She hears the message, God has visited Bethlehem again and there is bread in the town, but she misses the message. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Hard-hearted, closed mind. You know what Jesus tells about the Pharisees? He tells about in Matthew 23. Saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They sit in the, the seat is correct. They are very good. They know the word very well. They are experts. 
Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Meaning, whatever they tell, do, but don't imitate them. That is exactly what Ruth does. Because the actual Pharisee over there who is an expert in the law is Naomi. Whatever Naomi says, Ruth will do. Ruth will She follows all these instructions of Naomi. But you look at Naomi through the story, she will not lift one finger to help Ruth. Not even one finger. She knows exactly what needs to be done. But she will. The message misses her completely. This is what we need to be careful about. This is what Jesus is talking about. What makes you feel superior? the song which we sang today, the first song we sang, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I just come to you just as I am from the beginning till the end. But what? But it's very easy to hear all those things but to live it is very difficult. Very difficult. I know people have told me, Pastor, when I sat in your church, I felt like an idiot. I thought I understood nothing. I looked everybody, everybody's understanding. I didn't understand until I went to another church. When I went to another church, they called me and told me to pray. When I prayed, they told me, wow, how did you learn to pray like this? He said, I had never prayed in your church. But when I prayed in another church, they thought I was a super spiritual man. It's a danger. It's a danger. What makes us feel superior? We are saved by grace. But slowly we start feeling that we are superior because of knowledge. And we are superior because of our works. All spiritual disciplines are good and to be valued. Okay? Let's look at Luke 18, coming back to the Pharisee. 18, verse 10 and 12. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now you know, if you actually look at what the Pharisee said, Everything he said was true. And everything he says in verse 12 is right according to the law. It is true and it should be done. There's nothing wrong in what he said. But the problem was his attitude. What was his problem? You will see his attitude in verse 9. Verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in in themselves. They trusted in themselves. They were righteous. And the second thing, and they despised others. That's the problem. One, you have put your trust now in your works. Earlier you were saved by grace, but ten years down the line, you have added to grace. Yeah, I was saved by grace, but now I think I can stand on my own again before God. And also you start despising other. This messes it all up. This messes it all up. 
It will happen. It has to happen. Knowledge is good. You hear a lot of knowledge from here. Knowledge is good. But what does the knowledge make us? Does it make us despise others? Despise others. Does it? That's the question. Does our works, our pace in which we are growing, does it make us feel superior and the others inferior? That is what messes it all up. You see, let me explain to you in ways in which you can understand. We can understand. You see, there are spiritual rules. What is it? Rules. There are spiritual tools. What is it? Tools. They are different. They are not the same. Rules are to be obeyed all the time by everyone. No exceptions. But tools are different. Tools are different. They are specific to a job or a task. Let me explain. A hammer, you know a hammer? Young people, have you seen a hammer? I'm being sarcastic, but that's one of the ways in which God also uses the word. Sarcasm is a tool. So that you don't feel superior. But you never forget where you came from, where he picked you from. You getting the picture? We never forget. Doesn't matter what background we are from, we never forget. He picked us all of us from the same place, steeped in sin, born in iniquity, destined to die. So we all came from the same place. So hammer is a wonderful tool. For what? If you want to pound a nail into this wall, it's an excellent tool. But what do you want to do with the hammer if you want to clean your glass? If you want to clean your mirror, will you use a hammer? No. So a tool, for tool's sake, it is to accomplish a task. We don't use a tool for tool's sake. We use a tool to accomplish a task. Now let me get into it. Prayer is a tool. Fasting is a tool. The problem is Pharisees make tools into rules. You are judged whether you fast or not. You are judged according to the number of hours you pray. Bible study is a tool. Lent is a tool. But it can become a rule. Sabbath was a tool by God. Given as a rule, but it was a tool to make Israel know that their provision and dependence was on God and God alone. So you don't have to worry about resting from work because God is your provision. You are not working because the provision comes from your work. You are working because your God, your Father is a worker. So you, unlike everybody else, take a day off. Rest. And Seventh year, take it off completely. Sabbath was a tool. But what happened? The Pharisees took a tool and made it into an iron diet rule. Purpose is lost. You getting the picture? Mark chapter 2, 23 to 27. 
Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on Sabbath. As they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on Sabbath? They're just walking along. They're just, ah, you're working. That's harvesting. God said you shall not work. But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him. How he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priest and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath. Turn it around with a question. You are all sons of Abraham and you claim David to be your king, right? Let me give you an example from David's. There was this bread Shoe bread in the holy place. It has to be changed every day. Only the priests are supposed to eat it. But David was very hungry. They were tired. They were hungry. They were dying of their hunger. He and told the priest. And the priest said, we have nothing here except the shoe bread. He said, it's okay, give it to me, I will eat. And they gave it to him, he ate. And his bread men also, did they die? No. Wasn't that a rule? God is saying, what did you want David to do? Hunger and die because of a rule? Or understand all these rules are basically tools. The purpose you are forgetting. Sabbath was never meant as a test how spiritual you are. No, it was never meant for that. It was about a relationship. How much do you trust God? You see, the Pharisees were spiritually very impressive. From their dressing, started with their dressing, went all the way to their prayer, fasting and their offering, their tithes, everything. Yet when the living God turned up in their midst, they actually turned opposing him at every turn. That's why it is good to do periodical checks. Have I turned tools into rules? Ask. Have I turned what God used, said, has tools into rules? There are so many things like that. Bible study today. Midweek service is a tool, not a rule. So those of us who have come faithfully all these years, maybe all nine years, praise God. But be watchful. You don't accidentally become a Pharisee. Don't compare and look down on those who do not come. And don't be confident in your righteousness, because you have come all these years. And the heart gets hardened. That's what happened in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Are you getting the picture? You know the parable of the Good Samaritan? They used a tool as a rule. Worship is a It's not a rule, it is a tool. What is the purpose of worship? Intent behind worship, that you love God with all your heart, all your mind, 
all your strength and worship is the outflow of it. If you don't love God, then worship has no meaning. Has no meaning. So worship is the tool. But the task is you are expressing your love for God. So the problem is people who don't love God can use worship as a tool and see to that everybody obeys the tool. That's what happens especially in Islam. That fellow sings, everybody goes on their knees. It's just a, do you really love God? I didn't even know I was supposed to love God. Worship was a tool so that you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength and as a result of that love flowing into your heart, you love your neighbor as yourself. That was the purpose of worship. So what has happened, a man has come from Jerusalem to Jericho, he has been waylaid by thieves, he has been wounded, he has been left naked and he's lying on the road and he's lying over there and the worship of God which should have made you tender and compassionate to you or Fellow human being, what do you use now? Use worship as the excuse to avoid your brethren. So what did the priest do? He avoided him and went to Jerusalem to worship. What did the Levite do? He avoided him and went to Jerusalem to worship. So now what has happened? Worship has become the rule now. Worship was only meant to be a tool. Prayer was meant only to be a tool. You made it into a rule. Bible study was meant to be a tool so that by receiving more of the knowledge and the ways of God, you become more merciful and more compassionate and more kind. Instead, what have you become? God says you have become a Pharisee. Become a Pharisee. So if we use worship as a rule, we will end up serving self. That's why they avoided the wounded man. This is what God is asking. Asking us during this season. Test yourself. These are fundamental questions. What is the nature of my heart? After all these years or weeks or months, Where is my heart? You see, God will test. Because we are all on the same road like Joseph to kingship or David to kingship. That's the goal. Like after salvation, that is the goal. But David cannot be king until he has passed certain tests that is put by God. He is in the Philistine territory. He was a man of God. He is a man of God. Gone in fear into the enemy's land. And then God puts him through a series of tests to check his heart. What is your heart like? So we know about Ziglag. We are experts in the Old Testament stories. And we will read that portion. First Samuel 30 verses 1 to 6. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag, burned it with fire, had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away when they went. 
So David and his men came to a city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. So they overcome by grief and depression. And then verse 5. David's two wives, Avinom Zerulet, they were also taken. And verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed. Why? On top of the grief of losing his entire family and entire city, for the people, that is the soldiers, spoke of stoning him because the soul of every people, of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. God is testing. says, I know the plans that I have for you. But I want you to test you. To see Can you stand alone with me? If everyone turns their hand against you, will you be able to stand alone? Let me see how true the word you've been singing all these years is true in your own life. Can the word alone sustain you in the darkest day of your life? Has the seed brought forth fruit in your life? Let me see. And scripture says, he stood alone. All he had was the word of God. He stood all alone. Encouraged him in the Lord. He heard from God. Next step, you know, he calls Abiyadah, bring the effort, tell me what to do. And Abiyadah says, this is what the Lord says. What did the Lord say? Pursue, overtake, recover. Three things he tells. And he starts. Okay, next test. Verse 10. David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary they could not cross the brook. Now you are going after all that is dear to you. Your family, everything has been taken. All you have is 600 soldiers. You have to fight the battle of your life. And on the way 200 people says we are not coming, we are too tired. So you are too tired. One third of his army says we are not coming. Did he continue? He continued. Next test. Will you still put your trust in God and continue this pursuit with a depleted strength physically? How strong is the word in your life? Third test. That's a very important test. Verse 11. Then they found an Egyptian in the field, brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. Where are you going? You are running. You are pursuing with you. got very little strength and you are rushing to get your wives and your children back. On the way they see a wounded man. What are you going to do? That toe, not an Israelite, an Egyptian. Your enemy. God says, that's the third test. I want to see what you will do. What will you do? I want to see whether you have understood the word of David. Are you just running after a crown? Will you pass him by? Or will you stop? All 400 people stop. Stop. Let's take care of this man. Let's feed him. Let's give him water. Let's stop. But Lord, Master, are it. Stop. This takes precedence over everything else. Here is the good Samaritan. It's a man wounded lying on the road. He says, let everything stop. 
stops and he you know because he stops because god was testing him because he stops he feeds the egyptian gives him water and the egyptian says if you swear to me master that you won't give me back to my master i will tell you where the amalekites are i know where exactly they are so they actually end up saving so much time and they are able to reach the amalekites and win the whole thing and get everything back this one more test if you read verses 18 onwards so david recovered all that the amalekites had carried away and david rescued his two wives nothing of theirs was lacking either small or great sons or daughters spoil or anything which they had taken from them david recovered all then david took all the flocks and the herds they had driven before those other livestock and said this is david's spoil he said i got it all back this is my spoil now let's look to what happens now they're coming back they got everything they're coming back one more test now david came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow david whom they also had made to stay at brook besor so they went out to meet david and to meet the people who were with him and when david came near the people he greeted them the 200 who didn't follow them they greeted them suddenly there is confusion in the camp the 400 who fought the battle won the battle and got the spoil they said hey wait a minute here read now Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said because they did not go with us we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children that they may be led them away and depart Suddenly they would hold on you been with David you had pursued with David you were not among the 200 you went with David though all the way you fought your battle you defeated the enemy you recovered all but suddenly the heart is revealed and God calls them what worthless wicked and worthless men you did all this right you could be called the most faithful of david's soldiers 400 you risked your life you got it but god says when finally when it came to loot your heart is revealed he says a wicked worthless men they said no these 200 did not fight with us they said they're too tired and they are here and they won't come with us so you we want to do one thing they can have their wives and children back they will not get any plunder the plunder belongs to the 400 of us we will divide it among ourselves final test for david and what did david say david said my brethren you shall not do so with what the lord has given us remember our victory did not come from our numbers our victory came because of god who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us for who will heed you in this matter but as his part is he who goes down to the battle so shall his part be those who stays by the supplies they shall share alike he says no victory belongs to all of us so everybody will get an equal share so it was from that day forward he made it a statute and ordinance for israel to this day that's the question God is asking has adversity hardened your heart has victory hardened your heart or has it made it more merciful more compassionate the real question to ask during lent season because everybody faces adversity in their homes with spouses with children with in-laws anybody what has it made you 
had made us. It's the question God is asking. Has it made us? Hard? Shallow? Full of weeds? Or more responsive? Because we often forget the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to save man, not to shut them out of heaven. When our hearts are hardened, then we become like Jonah. We preach the truth. But we do not want them in. Because they are not like us. And they don't keep our rules. Forgetting those rules were only tools. So the question is, this is how you check. Have I grown more merciful? Have I grown more compassionate? Above all, have I grown more patient with God and with people. Otherwise, we are just growing in knowledge while our hearts are growing harder. So in the parable of the sower, in three gospels you see the parable of the sower. In three of these things, when it comes to the responsive heart, three different things are mentioned. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 20, God says, These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word and they accept it. Do you accept today's word? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, same parable. He who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and he understands it. Did we understand the word? In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, scripture says, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You are patient. You know, it all takes time. And you give others time to grow and catch up. Grow. Catch up. You don't look down. You don't despise. You don't despise somebody who has less knowledge than you. Whose prayers are less effective as yours. Whose ministry doesn't match up to your standards. God says no. Be careful. Be careful. That's how you become accidentally a Pharisee. Then finally you end up as a full-fledged Pharisee. But God says, I can use full-fledged Pharisees too. Hardened heart. Hardened heart. You know what? The hardest of hardened hearts was the heart of Apostle Paul. A Pharisee of Pharisees. To break his heart. To break his heart. And make it a responsive heart. Another man of God called Stephen had to die before his eyes. It took the death of a man of God. Whom Paul could have prevented. Being a Pharisee upon whose feet the clothes were kept as witness. As a witness he could have at least tried and says no stop. What we are doing is wrong. No. God said, let him die. Let this fellow see him die. Let him see how he is dying. Full of mercy, full of compassion, full of patience. Let him see and let his heart be broken. And I can make a Pharisee work in the kingdom. So Paul had to witness that. To see that man die the way he died. 
before that Pharisee would say that, I consider all this as rubbish compared to the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus. So this evening, this evening, we look at simple, well-known parables and look back. Because when we when we read these parables, we automatically go to the fourth soil and say, Lord, am I 30, 60 or 100? God says, neither. You are, hundred. you are the first category. Hard-hearted. We never put ourselves in that. We may say, okay, I am very emotional. I am like that one. No, quickly and then I go down. I am like that. Or we look like the oh, when the cares of the world or anxiety comes. Yes, I am like that. Or I am only 30-fold. We never put ourselves in the first category. Never put ourselves in the first category. God says that's the most dangerous category. Anybody from four to can become one, three to become one, two to become one, because we are all what? Living stones. We are all living soil. So God says, check your heart tonight. Man, shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you, Father. We look at your goodness, your mercy, even towards your servant Paul, knowing him, what he was as a Pharisee. And when he was broken and he became your servant, you said because of the exceedingly great revelations that were given to him, you allowed an infirmity in his flesh, a messenger from the devil himself to keep him humble. That he wouldn't go back and revert back to now a Pharisee in the kingdom. Help us to search our hearts. That we don't take tools and make them into rules. Then pride ourselves that we have kept rules that is so difficult for the others to keep. For there is only one law, one rule in the kingdom. Love God with all our heart, all our might, all our strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. And everything else is a tool to keep that rule, Lord. Help us never to forget. As we go back home, we thank you, Father, that you sustained us through this day and you will keep us through the days to come until the hour of your coming. Help us to be patient. And in patience, possess our souls. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.